You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Good morning and welcome to the 11 o'clock service, or as I like to call it, the one where I finally get the sermon right. Look, <laughs> really glad you guys are here. If we haven't met, my name's Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and uh, I just have a few little bits of housekeeping really quick before we get, uh, get going. So number one, um, we need just to recognize and celebrate something as a church. You know, a few weeks ago, we asked you guys to start bringing in composition notebooks for Love Creek Elementary. They, they asked us if we could provide those for their first grade class. And so we said, yeah, sure. And so we asked you guys to bring in 100 notebooks. Uh, you guys didn't. Instead, you brought in 443 books. How awesome is that? Yeah. I uh, love it. Love it. Listen, we say we are a church not just in Lewis, but a church that is for Lewis. We believe that God has called us to these people and to be a blessing to them, and I love that we got to have the opportunity to uh, bless our, our community in that way. Next thing I just need to uh, get out there, I found this out uh, this week. So last week, uh, we, 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 you know, we've been going through the book of Revelation, and, and last week, uh, after our 11 o'clock service, uh, a woman named Erica Pentney, uh, who's been coming to our church for a while, she actually went into labor and gave birth to a daughter, which was, so that's awesome. Uh, but now, just legally, we talk with our insurance people. We do have to put a disclaimer on the beginning of the sermons now. So listen, uh, warning, expecting mothers must use caution when listening to the sermon. Like, we have to just get that out there. Um, <laughs> So listen, if, if you're pregnant, we're thankful for that, but just please be careful, okay? Um, so, okay, if we can get that off the screen, that's weird. Look. <laughs> All right, so look, uh, we're in the series right now on the book of Revelation. We've been going through this thing. If you've got a Bible, do me a favor. Go open up to Revelation chapter 4, and then sort of pinch the page, because we're going to be going back and forth between Revelation 4 and 5, uh, doing that. And today, man, as, I, I just think what a fitting Sunday. We've had the kids in worship. What a great week to talk about worship. So talk about like what all that entails, um, because all of us come to worship with, with different expectations and different understandings of what's going on there. So I thought we'd get on the same page. You know, years ago, uh, when our church was getting started, we had a guy uh, who was coming to the church, brand new to the faith. And I remember him coming up to me one Sunday after church. And he went, okay, this is fun. I'm just curious, why do you guys do like a thousand songs before you talk? And, and what he was getting at, like he's not really a singer, he's not really a worshiper. And so he was just like, can we just get to the, 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 the learning thing, right? And maybe that's how you are. Like, and, and, and listen, I want you to know that if that's how you're wired, God bless you, there is a place for you at the table because we're all wired different. So maybe that's how you are. Like when it comes to worship, you're, like, you're not really a singer. That's not really your thing. You, you want the Bible thing. You want the message. You want to just dig into that. And, and you maybe like as great as our worship band is, you just find yourself putting up with worship because it's not your thing. And so you just want to get to the book. That's, that's how, you know, you, you just want that. And, or maybe, you know, where you are is worship like you know you, you enjoy it but you're very like you're not really expressive you're just kind of co like contemplative and you like to think through what you're singing and, and be still you want anybody to look at you you just want to sort of keep to yourself and 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 maybe sing out a little bit as long as no one hears you but you just want to to focus and focus and focus god bless you there is a place for you at the table as well god has wired you with that sort of contemplative spirit or maybe you're like me and for you the worship is the highlight of the service in fact, man, you're like, I'll put up with the talking, but can we just have some more of the just soaking in the presence a little bit? Like, mm, that's good, right? And like, you love it. It's like hands raised. That's all you. Man, God bless you. There is a place for you at the table as well. Or maybe, let me take it one step further. Maybe where you are 
is you've been waiting for somebody to give you permission to do that. Like you've been afraid, like if I say amen or if I clap my hands or if I raise my hands, are they gonna throw me out of this place? No, man, you can. In fact, the senior pastor just gave you permission. Go for it. Go for it. Because here's the thing about worship. And, and, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write down. This is gonna be our main idea today. Okay, everything else is going to support it. I'm going to give you the main idea up front. Here's the thing I want us to understand about worship. It's this, worship is the love language of the soul. Let me say that again. Worship is the love language of the soul. Worship, in worship, we express a passion and joy and so many more things to the Lord. Worship is the love language of the soul. It's why you and I, I don't know if you know this or not, you and I, no matter how we express it, you and I are, we- are wired for praise. We praise the things that we enjoy. Why is that? You know, <laughs> I went to uh, dinner at Popeye's last night. <laughs> Every service they've laughed at that. I don't, I don't know what, like, does that say something about me that you find hilarious? Okay, anyway, so like, I went to Popeye's because I don't know if you saw this week. This week, social media blew up because Popeye's introduced their brand new chicken sandwich and people could not handle it. They were like, this is the greatest chicken sandwich I've ever had. And so like, it's like, take that Chick-fil-A. And so they all started driving to Popeye's and drove. I was like, I have to try out this sandwich. Like, I have to know how great this sandwich is. So I went to Popeye's only to discover they were sold out of the sandwich. Suffered and had chicken tenders in te- instead. But look, like, and, and so I'm talking to the manager. She goes, Not only are we sold here, every Popeyes on the East Coast is sold out of the sandwich right now. We won't have any more till Monday. Like, what happens? What happened was praise. People, like, they try, they're like, Oh my goodness, this is great. Wow. Like, as they experience the sandwich, they're like, Oh. And they erupted in praise, and those around them in the Twitter sphere heard it. Why? Because worship is the love language of the soul. It comes out of you and me. I, I have a friend named Peter Carpentier. Peter um, he came to the Lord uh, in his mid-40s, and uh, Peter's one of those guys. I don't know if you've ever had a glass of water that you just filled too much. You know, the water's like right at the top there. If you just move it a little bit, like the water spills over the side. That's Peter when he praises. Like, like he's just, it just comes out of him at all times. Even like, not just in church. He's not necessarily a, a stage singing type guy. He's more like a shower singing type guy. But it's, it's, it's one of those things like no matter what he encounters in life, he just erupts into praise. And so like he'll go through something and he'll think of like, wow, God just did this for me or, or what have you. And he'll just be walking through. And like out of nowhere, he'll just go, praise you, my Lord. Right? Or like, hallelujah, God. Like, and, and, and at first it takes you off guard. And, and then it, the longer you know him, you find it kind of beautiful. Because like, wow, it's just overflowing from his heart. Worship is the love language of the soul. And we're going to see that today as we get into our Revelation text. Because it's sort of a quintessential passage on worship. So if you've got that Bible, Revelation chapter 4 is where we're going. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this. After this, I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. So here's where we are in Revelation, okay? At this point, John, he's been in exile on Patmos. He's been getting like letters written to churches as Jesus speaks to him and tells him, say this to this church, say that to that church. But now Revelation is transitioning into the stuff that Revelation is known for, the crazy visions, like all the symbolic stuff, all the weirdness. So do me a favor. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you right now and just go, it's about to get weird in here. Go ahead. Don't make it weird, just do it. Gosh, gosh. All right, look. So what happens? So at once, he says, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. 
And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. Now, this doesn't mean that the guy on the throne was made out of rocks. That's a mistake. Okay, but here's the idea. Like jasper and ruby, I don't know if you've seen them before. The, the type of stone that they are, the way that they catch light, they broadcast just beautiful, colorful light. And that's the idea here that John's getting at, okay? That like, like he, instead of keeping with the Psalms, that, that thought of, okay, God wraps himself in light, like that light is his garment. Okay, in the same way, God's sitting on his throne. It's just this beautiful brilliance of color. Like, like as like just light emanates from him. That's why it says a rainbow that's shown like an emerald encircled the throne. It just comes out of him as he sits there. I mean, it's this beautiful spectacle. And he continues, he says, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, you might be going, what is happening? You've got a throne, and you've got 24 thrones around it. Like, what is this passage saying? So to understand that, we've got to dig into biblical theology a little bit, to to an idea that we've talked about before, but for whatever reason, most of us don't hear about a whole lot. And it's this, that when we read Old Testament stuff, oftentimes the stuff that we read about isn't meant to be isolated to just them, but instead it's symbolic of something much greater. So whether that be like Old Testament symbolisms of like, you know, Jesus being found in the Old Testament, like Abraham and Isaac being a sort of a, a, a prophecy of Christ or what have you, what you find is, as you read the Old Testament is many of the details there are meant to represent something much greater. Hebrews calls this like a shadow of the things to come. And so for instance, Hebrews cites it this way in Hebrews 8.5, the author writes, they serve, talking about the stuff in the Old Testament, or I'm sorry, they, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. So when God tells Moses, I want you to build this tabernacle, what he says is do it very specifically because what you're building isn't just a structure. It represents a greater reality. It's an earthly reflection of a heavenly thing. Same thing could be said of the temple later on. Like the, the way the temple is laid out, it's actually a reflection of the Garden of Eden. Moving forward, you find like in, in the prophets, like you could, for instance, they like think about Ezekiel. Like at one point, as Ezekiel is prophesying to earthly people, he stops and it begins to address a guy named the king of Tyre. But the king of Tyre isn't just an earthly guy. And, and you start to realize that. Like he says, like, listen, like there, there was an earthly king of Tyre, but, but, but Ezekiel begins to talk about, listen, like you were in the garden of Eden, you were an anointed cherub. He begins to talk about him like he's a, like a heavenly being who fell. And we realize, okay, the king of Tyre, there's an earthly one, but there's a heavenly one who's greater behind him. Like there's this earthly guy who represents something more than himself. Why? Because in the Old Testament, oftentimes what you find is there's these earthly realities that reflect heavenly ones. So when we come back to the throne of God in Revelation, here's why this is important, okay? We have to understand that it's the realization of an earthly thing that's already been manifest. My, like primarily earthly priests. Like under the old covenant with the Levites who, who are set apart to represent God and, and intercede to God for the people. Like we, we find, okay, that this actually is being reflected in Revelation. So for instance, in, in 1 Chronicles 24, 4, here's, here's how it describes the earthly priests. A large number of leaders were found among Eleazar's descendants than among uh, Ithamar's. And they were divided accordingly. Look how they're divided. 16 heads of families from Eleazar's descendants and eight heads of families from Ithamar's descendants. Okay, 16 plus eight, 24. 24 priests, what do they do? They go to God for the people. They are on earth representing a heavenly reality. And so when we come to these 24 elders in Revelation, what they are is they're the realization of the earthly thing. Now, here's why this is important. You might go, okay, what in the world does that have to do with me? What it has to do is, is understanding what we're doing when we worship. 
Primarily this, okay, like if, if they were the earthly priests and they're reflecting a heavenly reality, here's what we have to know, that worship is partnering with the activity of heaven. Let me say that again. Worship is partnering with the activity of heaven. It's not just a song. It's not. When you and I worship, we are engaging in the very things happening in the throne room of God. Okay? It's not just a, I feel like singing this or I don't. No, understand what you and I are doing. We're actually partaking in what is happening before the Lord on his throne. That's why there's power in it. Have you noticed, I mean, how many of you have heard those stories of people and they were in worship and they saw healing take place? Why does the Bible say that God sits enthroned on the praises of his people? Because we're reflecting the nature of heaven. We're reflecting the activity of heaven. We're doing what they are doing in heaven. That's why for so many of you, the times that you are just so aware that you are in the presence of God is when you worship. Is God always here? Yes. But why during worship? Because what we are doing when we are worshiping is we're tapping into that activity. We're reflecting on the earth what's going on in heaven. And so you got these 24 elders, and what they're doing is they, they are the realization of that. But it continues. It says this. Like, because you might go, well, how do I factor into that? I'm not a, a, an Old Testament priest. Here's how, okay? Like, if you were to jump forward to Revelation 5, look at this. Then John says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. Now, fun fact for you. You know what 10,000 times 10,000 is? It's 100 million. Which means in heaven, right now in this scene, there are a hundred million angels falling down before the throne of God and worshiping this, this sea of worship. And, and to be clear, okay, um, it's not as though when John has this vision, he goes, that's a lot of angels. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. He's not doing that. The idea is that it's unending. Like it's just this sea. So for instance, like you'll find um, in the gospels when Jesus is asked about forgiveness one time, Peter comes to me and he says, all right, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother, right? Seven times? And Jesus goes, not seven, 70 times seven. And what he's saying is you never stop. Okay, in the same way with this activity, it's just this idea of like this plentiful sea of worship going towards the throne of God. In the same way, you and I are part of that. You and I are part of just like right now, as we sang this morning, there are a hundred million plus just infinite angels falling down before the throne of God and worshiping. And what do they do? Verse 11, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb, that's Jesus, who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. They, 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 they can't but erupt in worship before the Lord. And when we worship, we're part of that. We're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And so we're like, that song's just not really, really not feeling it. Who cares? Do you understand what you're part of? It's so much bigger than you and me. All right, so look, let's, let's keep going forward. So we'll jump back to chapter four. So here's the next thing, okay? From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God. Now let's pause on that, okay? Because many of us, when we think about heaven, don't think of it this way. Here's, here's the sort of popular picture that many of us think of with heaven. We think, okay, like heaven is kind of boring, 
right? Like when you die, if you're good, it's better. I mean, it's better than hell, okay? So like you, you'll get like a nice white robe and a harp and you'll sit on a cloud and you'll boom, 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 like just be kind of peaceful and, and, it'll, be, and it'll just be, you know, you'll be worshiping God in need. I might have a halo, I don't know. That's kind of the popular idea. Like, so for instance, um, about 10 years ago, I think a little bit less than 10 years ago, uh, the author Rob Bell released a book called Love Wins. Um, I strongly discourage this book. I think he does a hack job on biblical theology to make an argument for why hell is not a thing. I think he's dead wrong. But one of the things that, that he vocalizes in the beginning of the book is he, he, he gives this popular version of heaven. He says, like, so for many of us, like, we hear about heaven, and we, and we hear it as this sort of unending worship service, which for many people sounds more like hell than heaven. But, but, but there it is. It's the popular belief, okay? That's not the heaven that we see here. Instead, what we see is this, like, God who made beauty, is in his beauty. And you're just like, whoa, as you look at like the lights emanating from him and God who is unending in power, you find like the thunder and the lightning and like the blazing fire. Why? Because God is in his glory and the only reason John doesn't die is because he's in the spirit. Like it's not boring, like it's the furthest thing from boring because every bit of enjoyment that you and I have ever taken has been either like a, a earthly shadowing or a perversion of God in his actual bliss and pleasure and power. I mean, like, like and so when we look at the throne of heaven, the thing to understand is that listen, it's not boring. Like we are seeing God for who he is in this moment. And so it says this, and also in front of the throne. There's what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. You see the beauty there. Like this clear crystal sea, and in the center, it says, around the throne were four living creatures. And I told you it's going to get weird. And they were covered with eyes. In front and in back. <laughs> the first living creature was like a lion. And the second was like an ox. And the third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. And lastly, he says this here. He says, each of the four living creatures had six wings. It was covered, he reiterates that, covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Now let's pause there. Because again, what? <laughs> okay, so something we have to understand with Revelation is that Revelation is just ripe with Old Testament imagery. This actually comes out of the book of Ezekiel with like the moving throne of God. Uh, John's description of these creatures is a little bit different than Ezekiel, but it's meant to evoke your memory of Ezekiel. So here's something to understand, okay? Why these four, what do they represent? All right, so basically what they represent is the best of God's creation. So, for instance, you have the lion, okay? And the lion in that world is like the strongest creature that there is. It's the king of the jungle. It's the greatest hunter. I mean, it, it is the epitome of strength. Why is Jesus described as the lion of Judah? Because he's the most powerful one, okay? So lion, best of strength. Then you have the ox, best of servitude. Right, like an ox, it's a beast of burden. It carries, it works for others. So you've got best of strength, you have best of servitude. But then you have the face of a man. What does man represent? Best of intelligence. Like we are the most intelligent of God's earthly creatures. Like if you, if you were to you know, play a dolphin in a game of chess, you would win. <laughs> Last service I said that and they just looked at me. I was like, was that in question? I don't, all right. Yeah. All right, so, so best of intelligence. And the last one, okay, an eagle. To them, best of speed. All right, so what you find here are each of these creatures representing like the best of earthly things. You've got the lion, best strength, ox, best servitude, uh, human, best intelligence, eagle, best of speed. And all of them, these things that most of us would stop and look at and be like, whoa, what they do makes us take note and just go, hold on. There's something really powerful happening in this moment. Okay, so you've got these best of things and look at what they do when they stand before the throne of God. Next verse, it says, day and night, they never stop saying. 
mean, they're so overwhelmed with the glory of God, they can't help but continue to praise as it erupts from their souls. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So they're, they're surrounding the throne of God, and these things that should be respected and revered, when they are faced with the glory of God, they're going, whoa, holy, and they don't add another word after it. Don't let that sit too long. All right. Because, because what happens is, okay, like, they see God for who he is. And they're like, oh my gosh, I, I think I start to understand. And here's another thing, because he's so infinite. He was and is and is to come. He's almighty, meaning he's all powerful. So it's holy. And let's check that word for a moment. Because we don't get it. In the word, or the word in the Greek, holy, is agios. In, in, in Hebrew, it's kadosh. And, and here's where we kind of minimize its significance when it comes to God. We hear the word holy and we think special. So like something's holy, like it's a holy building. So it's kind of unique in that regard. And, and, and because it's holy, you're supposed to do something. Like this. Or like, so maybe holy is sin management, right? Like we should live holy lives. And yes, those things are part of it. Like, yeah, there's, there's holy things that you can find that in the Old Testament. And like we are to live as a holy people. Sure. It's just that it doesn't encapsulate all of it. Like the word means separate, otherworldly. That there's nothing like it. And so when you find these beasts and they're, and they're, and they're, they're inserting the throne of God and they're seeing God in his glory, what they're basically saying is, God, there's no one like you. Nothing can compare to you. Like, there is no like, earthly strength or heavenly one that can match you. There is nothing else in all of existence that compares with the one that I see on the throne and the lambs. And they just erupt in praise. Holy, holy, holy. I mean, like, it's completely, like, I can't stop saying it day and night. They're, they just can't help but erupt with this type of praise. Which is why this is the next thing that we need to understand about worship, okay? Take notes, write this down. Worship is an expression of reverence for God. It's not just about you. It's about him. Um, let me say it this way. I, I think one of the great things that we see happen among us and among our generation is an emphasis on personal relationship with God. Many of us have rejected liturgy for the sake of liturgy or religion for the sake of religion. And instead, we want to know the living God, right? And so I, I don't just worship because it's the thing that my parents did. I don't just believe because I'm supposed to. No, instead, I worship because there is a God who loves me, who died for me, who rose for me, who wants to give me a new life, who wants to transform me and walk with me in life. All of those things are true. But as we approach this sort of... Um, personal version of faith, we lose sight of the fact that God is not common. So we, so we get used to the idea of God. He's my, he's my buddy, Jesus. He's, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. Hold on. Like, hold on. Like, I, I mean, I've known people like who, they enjoy their relationship with Jesus. And yes, it's so personal. And yes, it's so intimate. But they'll, say, like, they'll just fire off prayer like it's something. Hey, God, could you do this? hold on, do you, do you know who you're, who you're talking to right now? Like even Jesus who calls God Father and tells us to do the same. Remember how he used to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed, meaning holy, meaning lifted up be your name. There's a respect and a reverence there that sometimes in us being casual in our faith, we miss and that's a mistake. No, holy, there is no one like him. There's none beside him. As we sang earlier, worship is an expression of reverence for God. When I worship, I am saying, God, you are greater than me. And you're greater than everything. 
And so our, our passage continues. It says, uh, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. So it's like this worship chain reaction. One group praises and the other's like, yeah, he is, and they join right in. And the other one goes, oh, isn't he good? And they go, yeah, he is, and they just join right in. It's just, and in the same way, listen, do you know, do you know that when we worship, we're doing that with them? I mean, that's huge. And look at this, verse 11. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And in other words, okay, what's a, a crown? A crown is a symbol of glory, right? Like a, a king wears a crown. Royalty wears a crown. And here are these, these beings, whether they be human, angel, cherub, what, what have you. Like they're before the throne of God and they've been given the ability to keep praise for themselves. And yet, as they're in the, the throne of God, they go, listen, I, I can't, I'm sorry. So they take off their own glory and say, here, you take it. And they just throw it down before the Lord like, you are the only one who's worthy of being praised. You are the only one who should receive honor and glory because why? Well, because here's why. Look at this. Four, it continues. You created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. In other words, hey God, Lord Jesus, there would be no me if there were no you. Check that. For the one who's sitting here today who's become flippant in their relationship with God. What has God done for me lately? Are you breathing? No, God, you, you created everything and in you. In you, all things have meaning. Like, all of history is in your hands. I'm going only where you send me. And that's the next thing that we have to understand what happens when we worship. Write this down. Worship reminds us. Worship reminds us of how big God is and how small our problems are. And that's not, hear me out, that, that's not, I like the amens, keep them coming, that's good. Look, um, that, that's not, that's not to say that we pretend that our problems don't exist. Oh, bless God, everything's fine. No, that's, that's unhealthy. But it does mean that when I worship, I go, listen, I've got these things here, but they can't compare to how big God is. I've got these earthly things here, and, and, and they're coming against me, and I've got I've to make it through this. I'm not sure how that's going to happen, but you know what? At the end of the day, I have a God who's bigger than anything that I encounter here, and he will never leave me or forsake me. It's all about him. See, worship, what worship does is it creates trust. Worship creates trust, it, and it creates it within us a place to retreat to. There's just something powerful in it. Like, why is it? These stories aren't uncommon. You have people who are in the later stages of Alzheimer's. They can't even remember their own name. And yet they can remember every word to a hymn and sing it. Why is that? It's stamped on the soul. It's stamped on the soul. It's why, why is it that the enemy of your souls works so hard on music? Can we just talk about that for a moment? Like Satan, the, the adversary, have you noticed the plethora of music that is designed to fill the space of your mind and heart that would keep you from praising? Like, why is there such a surplus of songs out there that are all about the wrong things, that are all about booze and money and sex and greed and, and using other people? Like, what is that? Well, because there's power in the music. And it sticks with you. Like, you, you, you keep singing those songs even when you don't want to. Why are there so many, can we just own this for a second here? Why is it there are so many songs out there that are about absolutely nothing? 
What do they do, though? They fill the space. They rob you of the praise. Like right now, a song that my son has gotten into that drives me nuts is a song called Old Town Road. If ever there was a song about nothing, it is Old Town Road. Gonna take my horse. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna put that, I'm not gonna put that mind worm in your head. But look. But what is it? See, it, it, it fills that space, pulls you off course. Whereas as you begin to fill your mind and your spirit and your heart with the words and reflections of, on the things of God, those are the things that come out of you. We can retreat to worship. We can have those moments in, in, in our lives where we go, all right, look, God, I don't even have the words, but I'll sing or I'll praise or I'll reflect on this thing. Why? It's a gift of God. It reflects the activity of heaven. Worship reminds us of how big God is and how small our problems are. It creates trust. And so back to our central idea, the big thing that we've said from the beginning, is this worship being the love language of the soul. It overflows from the heart. It really does. As you reflect on the things of God, that's what will come out of you. And, and so I know, I know um, for, for many of you, the, the, the pushback might be this. You might go, that's great, Bert. I'm just, I'm not wired for that outward stuff. And again, I want to be clear. I am not about, in this moment, religious conformity. I'm not. I don't want you raising your hands if you don't want to raise them to the Lord. Don't do that because the room does that. Don't you dare. That's a lie. No, 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 no. I want you to be true to how God has actually wired you for worship. And he's wired many of us very differently, and that's okay. But here's what I would say. If you were saying, I'm just not a worshiper, I'm just not feeling it. Here's, here's my only bit of caution that I would say for you. If you want to know how you're actually wired, pay attention to what comes out of you during different events in life. Because, fun fact for you, if you're taking this, write this down. You can know what's in you by what comes out of you. Hello. You can. You can know what's in you by what comes out of you. Um, so, for instance, if you're in a place of joy, hey, gentlemen, who, who, who wants to have this like, like aura of respect, you know, and so in worship, I'm, I'm going to sing this going to be really softly because I don't want anybody to hear me because I don't want my, the respect for me to diminish or what have you, or you want to have this sort of dignity about you. If you're that same guy that began to sob like a baby when you saw your bride walk down the aisle, you are much more wired for praise than you think you are. If you, I mean, like if you just erupt with joy and loud expression when your kid began to ride their bike without training wheels, you are much more wired for praise than you think you are. Hey, if you're an Eagles fan in Buffalo Wild Wings, <laughs> you are much more wired for praise than you think you are. Amen. <laughs> Let it out, dude. Because here's the thing that I would say. I don't think, I, listen, let's just say, I don't think it's a sin to honor your team when they move a ball really well. I don't. I really, like, I really don't. But that should be dwarfed in how you praise God. And so look, you've got permission to be however God has wired you. You have permission to engage him. Don't listen. Don't look around the room. Don't say, well, will somebody look at me or will somebody not? It's not about them. It's about lifting up his name. It's not about what people think about you. It's about lifting up the name of Jesus. And I recognize something, okay? Here's the fun thing. I can't end a message on worship and not let you worship. I can't do it, right? Like, I can't be like, all right, listen. So there, think about it this week and then leave. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take one more opportunity.
And I want to invite you, okay, what we're going to do in just a second, we're going to show a video and all it is, it's basically like a, an artistic interpretation of the very text that we just read. It's going to add on some stuff from, from uh, the upcoming chapters, but really it's just Revelation. And during that time, here's what I want you to do. I want you to prepare your heart to worship the Lord, however that looks. Okay, so if, that, if that's singing out loud, sing out until, until your lungs are, are like falling out. I don't know, like it's just, if, it's, if, it's, if it's about okay, like, like being introspective and reflecting, do everything you can to reflect, but give everything that you can to the Lord because he's worthy of all the praise you can possibly offer. So we're gonna show this video, we're gonna prepare our hearts to worship, and then we're gonna have the worship team come up and we'll close out the service, okay? All right, let's go to it, guys. <laughs> 